chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went abroad, aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they, made off, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Now Jonah chapter 4. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That, it is, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Well, we're a couple of weeks away from my least favourite 
uh, night here at Uni Church. I love when students come back. Uh, I love all the new uni students coming, but with the students comes the parties, and in a couple of weeks, there'll be the big one. Uh, the thousands of students out there on the oak lawn uh, having a party on a Saturday night. And then on Sunday, we're going to be left with the consequences. Uh, the men's toilet will be feral. Uh, it's in years gone by, you need a hazmat suit just to kind of go in there, kind of hold your breath. It actually it kind of makes, makes my skin crawl just thinking about what went into making it get into that state. Like what happened that it could be so awful in so many respects. So if you're here in a couple of weeks, uh, we hope that you stick around. Uh, I apologise in advance, just get through that and you'll be sweet. So here's my question. How does God feel about UWA? When the oak lawn's full of people getting drunk, uh, full of immorality and abuse, how does God feel about UWA? And what about the classes? Uh, lots of people here at uni think God's a myth. He's a social construct and that he's been disproved by science. If you're a first year, you're kind of fronting up to your lectures soon, uh, you can expect to hear God openly mocked uh, from your biology lecture, from your English lit lectures. How does God feel about UWA? Or Curtin, Notre Dame? How does he feel about the CBD? Uh, with all its greed and corruption and office affairs? How does God feel about Perth? Well, we need to uh, work out the answer to that question because how God feels about uni ought to shape how we feel about uni. And we want that answer uh, as we start out on a new year heading onto campus. So the book of Jonah isn't actually about whales or running away or disobeying God. Uh, The book of Jonah is going to help us answer that question question. Uh, So let's do it. Uh, If this is new to you, this is Uni Church's One Book, One Talk. Jonah is uh, a drama in two acts. Uh, There is, um, there's a picture that gives you a representation of what happens in Jonah, the the four chapters broken down into those two acts and their scenes. We've got the great storm, the great fish, uh, the great city, and then under the leafy plant. They're the four scenes, and we're going to work our way through those four tonight. And you'll note that one of these scenes is not like the others. The first three scenes end with salvation. Someone is saved. But the last scene's different. There's a sting in the tail. Uh, There's the the great storm and uh, the great fish... And there's, there's something great in the last scene as well, but it is not what you'd expect. We'll get there later on. Uh, the two acts, the two halves of the book, get introduced in the same way. Have a look here. I've put them side by side. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, if you know the Old Testament, they're very familiar words. They introduce a prophet, someone who is God's spokesman, given God's words to pass on to the world. And the word is, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. 
Now, once again, that is classic Old Testament prophecy, right? Uh, judgment against foreign nations. Uh, and Nineveh was one of the major uh, cities of Assyria. Assyria were this uh, country that worshipped the god Ashur, uh, and they were a wicked people who went around wiping out the nations around. They've dug up an inscription about the king of Assyria, and it describes him like this, I really like this quote, uh, describes him as king of the universe, destructive weapon of the great gods. That's how they thought about themselves. That's how the king thought about himself. They were a military superpower, utter pagans, and a major threat to Israel. Uh, Now, uh, Jonah, uh, in the rest of his life, he's a prophet, and in two kings we find out about him, and it was Jonah's prophecy that caused Israel to re-establish their borders against the threat of Assyria. Uh, Jonah basically got a wall built uh, to keep them out. So uh, that was his thing, a very Trumpian type of thing to do. Uh, he, he built the wall, right? Uh, that's how he felt about the Assyrians. And now Jonah, here in the book of Jonah, is called to go to this great pagan city and preach against it. And in some ways it feels like a great gig, this is what you want to do. Go to your enemies and say, God is on to you guys. But the book of Jonah is subversive. Uh, It never does what you expect it to do. And so have a look back at the start. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Now, that is a hook, right? If you want to uh, get into a book, uh, a hook like that, you expect uh, everyone who gets the word of the Lord, they go and do what they're told, but Jonah runs away. Uh, Here's what he did. Uh, Here's a map. Uh, Joppa, where Jonah is nearby, there to Nineveh is about 550 miles uh, up in that direction, about 800 k's or so. And then Jonah does this. Uh, (laughs) Like, you couldn't get any crazier of a flea, right? Uh, It's like being told to go to Kalgoorlie and you jump on a ship for Cape Town. Uh, That is the magnitude of it. Uh, We're told that Nineveh's wickedness has come up to God. God is up, right? And so Jonah goes down. He goes down to Joppa, down below deck, down into a deep sleep, away from God the prophet of God, running from God. It's crazy. Why is he doing this? So, Act 1, Scene 1 is on board that ship, fleeing from God. Uh, But you can't actually run from God. And so God sends a great storm. A great storm. As you go through, uh, everything in Jonah is great, a big, important. There's uh, the great wind that stirs up the great storm and a great fish and a great city and everything's big. And so the great storm hits and it overwhelms the boat. And so scene one, which we had read, uh, has this contrast between the sailors, uh, the pagan sailors, and God's prophet. And each of them do the opposite of what you'd expect. The pagan sailors are the heroes, Right? Uh, they fear the storm and they jump into action. They uh, hurl the cargo overboard and they pray to their gods there in verse 5. But Jonah is sleeping, right? Uh, He's below deck 
Uh, he's a bit like a toddler when they cover their eyes and say, you can't see me, right? Uh, hiding from God. And verse 6, the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? The storm is raging, right? How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Maybe, right? Maybe. Maybe there's a God out there that can help us. Who knows? I'll tell you who knows. Jonah knows. The prophet of God is on the ship. And the one guy who knows what's happening, uh, who knows that God is in control of all these uh, great overwhelming waves, he knows, but he won't tell. Uh, A pagan sailor has to go below deck and urge him, God's prophet, to pray and he doesn't. Do you see that? He, he doesn't actually pray. And, and they draw lots, right? And still, he says nothing. He knows what's going on. And then they ask him all these questions and eventually they drag it out of him. Uh, there in verse 9. And this is one of three key verses which we're going to look at where we hear something huge about God that Jonah knows. Right, so verse 9, he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. See, Jonah knows. He knows. Uh, that's why it's quite funny. Uh, God is the maker of the dry land and the sea. So why, Jonah, did you think you could run from him on the sea? God is not like the pagan gods that the sailors uh, prayed to. He's not like Ra, the sun god, who's in charge of the sun, and, and Neptune, the god of the sea. He's the god, the maker of everything, who's in charge of everything. Every animal, every asteroid, every helix of DNA is his. And so the sailors ask, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? And Jonah says, Turn the boat around, take me back towards Nineveh. Surely then God will relent and will be saved. Except that's not what he says, is it? He says, no, throw me overboard into the great storm. And it turns out that God's prophet would rather die than to tell the Ninevites anything about God. He would rather die. So scene one finishes with the sailors being saved. They fear the Lord and they offer vows and sacrifices. That brings us to the end of scene one. Uh, Scene two is another picture of salvation. Uh, Just as the Lord sent a great wind, now he provides a great fish to swallow Jonah. And chapter two is a psalm, a song about the salvation of God. And uh, what you see is that in each of the first three scenes of Jonah, uh, people realise that they're about to perish. The sailors saw they were about to perish. And uh, the poetry there in chapter 2 captures it as well. The first five says, The engulfing waters were at my throat. 
the deep surrounded me. But scene two is different. It's different for Jonah because Jonah knows. He knows the Lord. Check out verse 7. He says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. See, Jonah knows Yahweh, uh, the maker of the dry land and the sea. He, he knows who to look to for help, uh, where to pray. And in fact, that is the conclusion of this psalm. This is the second huge thing that Jonah knows about God, right there at the end, verse 9. Salvation comes from the Lord. See, that Jonah knows what no one else in the story knows, that salvation comes from the Lord. He's a God who saves. And the question is, will Jonah realise that that applies to others as well, not just to him? Is Jonah going to be able to work that out? Because he knows that God is the creator of everything, right? And he knows that salvation comes from the Lord, but will he kind of make the connection? Will he see the implications of those things? Look at uh, verse 8 there. Uh, Look at what he knows. He knows that those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Right? That's, That's true. But what if they stop? What if they stop clinging to worthless idols? What if they make vows and sacrifices to the Lord like the sailors did, uh, like Jonah promises to do uh, there in the fish? Can they know God's saving love? Maybe they can. Maybe the sailors can. But what about the Ninevites? The wicked Ninevites. Uh, That brings us to the end of Act 1. And we uh, head into Act 2. We restart another call this time and uh, this time Jonah goes. And so the third scene takes us uh, into the great city, the great enemy city. The one thing that's not described as great in Jonah is his preaching. Uh, Literally, he's the worst, right? Uh, It's an eight-word sermon, uh, doesn't mention God, and basically you're all going to die. That's the message. It's a three-day journey, we're told, uh, across the city limits, and he goes in one, uh, probably stops somewhere, not very important. I'll just say it here. And he gives that message. But just like the sailors, an incredible thing happens, right? Uh, The Ninevites hear it and they repent, and word gets to the king, and he repents. Have a look at uh, verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. There's that word again. Uh, the, the great people in the great city humble themselves. They repent. They turn back to God. Right? And, you know, it, it's mad because the Ninevites don't know anything about God, right? Uh, so they're covering all their bases. Have a look at verse 8. Uh, the king says... Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. 
Who knows? Who knows? Maybe God will, will forgive us. Uh, who knows if he's a God who saves? Well, Jonah knows, right? Jonah is right there. He knows, but he won't tell. And here's the twist. Here's the sting in the tail. Scene four, under the leafy plant. Have a look at uh, chapter one, uh, verses one and two there. Uh, This is the third uh, big thing that Jonah knows about God. Uh, Let's read from verse one. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Hear how bitter he is. I knew it. I knew it. I knew you'd save them. That's why he's done what he's done all along. He says, you know, that's why I ran away. That's why I wanted them to throw me overboard. I wanted to die. I did not want them to hear that you are a God who saves. I knew you'd save them, and it's wrong. Literally, chapter 4, verse 1 says, Grievous to Jonah, a great evil. That's what's great here in scene 4. The thing that's great is Jonah's opinion of how wrong this is that a people as wicked as the Ninevites should have an opportunity to repent. According to Jonah, Nineveh doesn't deserve to repent. They are so wicked. And his whole life he's prophesied against them. And now God has been gracious and he can't bear it. He'd rather die. Check out there, verse 3. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. See, he's so bitter, it's, it's almost hard for us to relate. Uh, at this point, I'm like, I, I can't quite understand Jonah, right? Uh, but you have to understand how deeply the Assyrians would have, uh, would have felt, the, uh, the Israelites would have felt the Assyrians to be their enemies, right? Uh, so imagine something. Not the same, but maybe that has the same kind of bitterness that might grow. Uh, imagine uh, someone in your family, your sister is hit, uh, walking across the road, hit by a drunk driver. Uh, huge injuries. And imagine that driver was part of one of those drinking clubs on campus here. And then imagine what it would feel like to tell that group that God is gracious and compassionate and will forgive them if they turn back to him. Surely they don't deserve it, right? Then imagine that they repented and they turned up here at Uni Church, wanting to be part of us. All of a sudden, Jonah's bitterness doesn't feel so far off. We do have reasons, large and small, why we think that others don't deserve God's grace. 
why we might resent uh, them having a chance to be forgiven. But do we have any right to feel like that? That's the question that God asks Jonah. Jonah, do you have any right to be angry? And so the book of Jonah finishes with a living parable, an experience with a message. Uh, it follows on from uh, the point that we stopped reading. Um, Jonah goes out east of the city uh, to watch, it says, uh, uh, just in case, I think, judgment does come, fire does rain down. He's like, he knows that that's not going to happen, but he's going to check just in case. And uh, he sits there in the sun and he's hot and he's angry. And it says that God provides a leafy plant. This is scene four, the leafy plant. And it's lovely and and shady. And uh, for Jonah, literally, it's a great happy, right? This plant, a great happy And then God provides a worm and he provides a scorching wind. Just like the way he provided the great storm and provided the great fish, uh, God is in charge of everything and he provides this wind and it scorches the plant, the plant dies and Jonah is angry. Again. (laughs) But this time, he's angry about the plant He's angry that something so good, so, so precious uh, should be taken away from him. The, the leafy plant, I loved it so much. It was so shady and, and cool and green and I loved it. And God says, look at you. Look at you, Jonah. One tiny plant. And you did nothing to get it. It wasn't even there yesterday, just here today, And then gone. Such a tiny thing. But look at your passion for it when it perishes. Uh, That's the key word there in chapter 4, verse 10. It sprang up overnight and overnight it perished. The same word the sailors used when they woke Jonah. Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. And the same word from chapter 3, when the king of Nineveh uh, realised that they were facing God's anger at their wickedness. And then verse 9, chapter 3, he says, Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And God says, Jonah, you care about this plant perishing. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh. And Jonah ends with that question, kind of open-ended for us to answer. In fact, the the last words of the book um, kind of take it to the extreme, right? The the final words are, and also many animals. Uh, God is concerned about everything, right? All the way down to the animals. You care about the plant, Jonah. Shouldn't I care about everything that I've made? That's Jonah. Two acts, three scenes of salvation and one uh, sting in the tail. Jonah's lack of compassion is held up against God's great compassion for the world that he's made. 
And so we're left with the question, as we read through the whole book of Jonah, we're left with the question, do we share God's compassion for the world that he's made? Do we share God's compassion for the world that he's made? How does God feel about UWA, this great university uh, with 24,000 students and 3,500 staff uh, where it takes three days to walk through every building? Uh, How does God feel about this great uni? The idolatrous students, the godless lecturers. Well, he has compassion. They're perishing. They're facing his fierce anger. And so God has compassion. He wants them to turn back to him. And when he sees the after effects of the party on the oak lawn, uh, he doesn't kind of recoil and get disgusted at it the way that I do. He has compassion. He has concern. Uh, There at the end of Jonah, he says about the Ninevites, They cannot tell their right hand from their left. They've got no idea. No clue. Imagine thinking that you could find meaning and hope and joy in drinking and casual sex. Imagine thinking that. They don't know their right hand from their left. If only there was someone who knew. Someone who could tell them. They don't know... Uh, the loving creator, God. If only there was someone who could tell them that news, that there is a God, that salvation comes from the Lord. Who knows? Who knows? Tell you what, I know, right? Jonah hated the Assyrians so much that he was willing to die to stop them having an opportunity to repent. But I know a man who himself loved the world so much that he was willing to die in order to save it. Jonah wanted his enemies to perish. And I know a man who died to save his enemies from perishing. That is the gospel, right? That is the good news of Jesus. That Jesus has come and died in place of God's enemies to save them from perishing. And if you know that, if you know Jesus, then you know the one name under heaven by which people can be saved. What a wonderful thing to know, to be the one on campus who knows that. If you know the gospel, you know what Jonah knew, that God is a God who saves. Uh, In many ways, Jonah is uh, a real stinger of a book. Uh, That's why most kids' Bibles, if you uh, read the the story of Jonah, it kind of stops at the whale, uh, never kind of goes on to the leafy plant business, uh, because that bit is too painful, right? Uh, Because we see Jonah's hardness of heart Uh, kind of matched up against God's compassion. And it leaves us with the question, do we share God's heart of compassion for the lost? 
for the world around. His grace has come to us if we know the Lord Jesus. We have tasted his saving work. We know it. Will we extend it to others? Will we see our our uni, our city, the way God sees it? And will we graciously share the great big news that salvation is found in Jesus?